Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 1. You know it's Christmas when all of a sudden you start seeing Christmas stuff appear in the stores. And year after year, it's gotten earlier and earlier. This year, it used to be a travesty to me to to notice all the Christmas stuff in the store before Thanksgiving. Now, at at Halloween, they're already putting it in in the stores. And and, and who's... I mean, you can't really blame the stores. This is the big time of the year for them to make all their money. And and so they're trying to extend it out as, as long as they possibly can. But growing up in my home, there was a distinct... Ritual and method of going about this time of the year. We always went to celebrate Thanksgiving with my grandparents in Gastonia, my mom's parents. My dad grew up in Lenore, up in the mountains, and so it was harder for us to get up there uh, to visit with them. It was about a, a three-hour drive, so we didn't go up there as often uh, during the, especially during the winter months, because you never knew if it was going to snow or something like that and we'd get stuck. Plus, my grandparents on my dad's side, they lived up on the side of a mountain, and you basically had to drive. uh, You really, most people today would insist on having a four-wheeler in order to go up there uh, to visit with them. Back then, we we took the old station wagon, and we were just bouncing all over the place and dropping down into ruts and all that kind of thing. Nowadays, you'd see people come out with these big monster tires to be able to get up there, but we did it in, in the old family station wagon, and and so we kind of restricted going to see them and uh, for the the summer and spring months when it was <clears throat> when it was warmer weather and we we, we didn't, didn't have to worry about whether or not we get stuck on the side of the hill there going up to visit them. But we always went to my grandparents in Gastonia to visit with them and all my cousins and aunts and uncles and everything, and and we always had. Uh, and my grandmama never mixed Thanksgiving and Christmas. Never, because we were expected to come back at Christmas too. And so she would have all the fall stuff out at Thanksgiving. And then once Thanksgiving was over, then you could bring out the Christmas stuff. I mean, the only thing that was Christmas in any way was after we'd eat Thanksgiving dinner, we'd all sit on the couch in their living room and watch the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade. And, and, and that was about the only Christmas thing there was about Thanksgiving was watching the Thanksgiving Parade. Uh, and, and, of course, they'd bring out Santa Claus at the end of, of the Thanksgiving Parade. And that was about the only thing that was Christmassy about it. Nowadays, you've got Christmas stuff popping up everywhere. And it, it's kind of hard to discern when Christmas starts because they keep changing it and keep moving it and everything because of all the marketing and, and all that kind of stuff. You know it's Christmas when they start putting a, a whole radio ch- uh, station turns over to Christmas music. And, and about this time of the year, you can flip on the radio and find somewhere where there's nothing 
but Christmas music. And, and doesn't it really say Christmas when you can turn on the radio and listen to a song of dogs barking uh, jingle bells? I mean, that's, that's really Christmas, isn't it? I mean, that really signifies Christmas. Well, we've been, we've been looking at Christmas in 3D, and uh, we talked about understanding the difference in seeing things in 3D as opposed to 2D last week. And we talked about how uh, there was three aspects of a view that makes 3D. And we talked about uh, how we discussed the why last week, looking at the sin in the Garden of Eden. And today we uh, so last week we were in the garden, this week we're in the nursery. So if you look with me in Luke chapter 1, we get the classic uh, view of Christmas time at chapter 1, starting in verse 5. I'm going to try and use these glasses. These are not my glasses, but I'm going to try and use them. I left mine at home. So if I fumble on a word or something, please understand. But in Luke chapter 1, we see the whole setup of the when. We looked at the why last week. Tonight, uh, Today we're going to look at the when and understand the significance of the when. And so we look at verse 5 and it says, And there was in the days of Herod, the king of the Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was the, of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And you might be saying, well, wait a minute. I, I didn't think... Uh, Elizabeth and and Zechariah were the parents of Jesus. They're not. They're not. But this is all a part of uh, setting up the win. Zacharias and and Elizabeth are uh, there in the temple. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child because of Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the customs of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John." And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and may, uh, many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Now, this has been the dream of any parent who is of Jewish descent during the, this particular time because they have been waiting just like every child has been waiting since about May for Christmas. Now uh, I never was, I always looked forward to and I counted down the days till Christmas but I wasn't fanatic to the point of marking the days down and, and that kind of thing. Usually a lot of the stores when I was growing up would have big signs at the front and they'd say days until Christmas and they'd have a countdown kind of like there 
kind of a, uh, uh, as, a, as a way of juicing up the kids to get all ready for Christmas, but as more as a warning to the parents. Look, you only have 20 more days until Christmas, or you only have five more days. You better get your shopping done uh, is the implication there. But uh, as in this particular time of Elizabeth and Zacharias, they had been a part of the people of Israel uh, had been waiting for so long for God's uh, fulfillment of His prophecies. For hundreds of years, they had been told that a Messiah was coming. And they were excited about it. Back in the Old Testament, if you go back and look at Isaiah 53 and some of the other passages of Scriptures in the Old Testament, you'll see the prophets foretell of a time in which God will raise up His uh, root, His his. Uh, is one who will come, the Messiah. And so they've been all excited about it. And here's Zacharias, and he's doing, going about his business. It's his chance to go into the temple. They had so many of the descendants of Aaron that were uh, assigned to the temple. And so you didn't work every week like a pastor does in church today. You didn't go to the temple and do your duties there every week, you were assigned a certain week. And you were, uh, then they would draw lots. They would kind of uh, uh, draw straws in today's vernacular, or they would draw, uh, uh, it's called drawing lots, and they, they kind of, whether it's uh, throwing out a, a a group of uh, sticks or whatever it is, it was a way of, of determining who would get the chance to go in and do which job in the temple. And it was uh, Zacharias' turn to work in the temple and he got the opportunity to actually go in to the holy place and to be able to burn the incense. And so Zacharias is excited. He's going in there all by himself and he's going in to burn the incense and make sure it's filled up and to make sure that that the uh, offering of incense is burning in, inside the holy place. This it, is not something that just the average person gets to, to go in and do. This is something that he is excited about doing. In fact, everybody is outside waiting to see what Zacharias is going to, when he's going to come out. And, and it was expected that he would have a an aura of the presence of God because he's going into the holy place. Now, he's not going into the holy of holies. Don't get me wrong. That's only for the high priest to do. But he's getting to go into a part of the temple that most people don't get a chance to go into. And he's fulfilling his duty. And when he goes in, he knows that what's about to happen. He knows what he's expected to do. He kind of has a layout of, of the room and what he's expected to see. He might even have done it before. But when he goes in, instead of being in there by himself, which he expected to be, he goes in and he sees the angel of God. And of course, this startles him. This, this, this has never happened before. This is not something that happens. And even though he's a man of God, he's a godly man, he's someone who has served in the temple before and he's done all these things, he's not expecting to see an angel standing there in the temple. And so he's, he's distraught when he sees the angel, but he's comforted by the words. And he says, uh, and the angel tells him what, why he's there. And 
Zacharias saw the angel and was troubled, but the angel said unto him, Fear not. I love it how the angel always has to say, Fear not. Well, that means that every person that's seen an angel is a, uh, looks afraid and shocked. He says, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, from a very young age, I'm sure, Zacharias and Elizabeth have been praying that God would bless them with a child. Not just any child, but a male child. This is the prayer of almost every couple that gets married in, in the... The Israelite uh, clan is that they would have a child, but not just any child, but a boy child so that they would carry on the name, carry on the tradition. And all the property and all the holdings of the family is transferred from son to son, not from uh, from parents to child, but son to, uh, from, from parents to, ch- uh, to son. And so it was important for uh, those families to have a son because uh, all of the name and all of the holdings of the family would uh, go with the daughter and into another family. And so they were praying that they would have a son. And here uh, they've been praying for some time. They're, uh, they're childless and they're hoping that God would answer their prayer. But it's kind of like one of those prayers that you pray and you kind of lose hope when it seems kind of clear that you're not going to have your prayers answered the way you expected. Because Zacharias and Elizabeth, they're getting older. Now, they're not just getting older, they're getting way older, way beyond the time and the age of giving birth. And so they're kind of... of this this whole scenario of Zacharias and Elizabeth is kind of like mirroring the people of Israel. They've been told for uh, uh, thousands of years that the Messiah has come. Ever since uh, the time in the garden, remember God told Adam and Eve when He was expelling them from the garden that there would come a, one, a Messiah, a promised one, who would crush the head of the serpent. Remember last week we, we looked at that? Nod your head yes so you can tell me that you're awake. Okay. All right. Last week we did talk about that. And God promised that. So from that point on, the people of Israel have been, uh, the people of God have been waiting for God to bring about this, this Messiah. And they're waiting. And they're, and they're getting to the point where they feel like, well, maybe God's forgotten. Have you ever wondered why God didn't allow Jesus to come right after Adam and Eve were expelled out of the garden? Why is it that God waited? And not just waited, but waited a long time. Waited a real long time to bring the Messiah. Why is it that God, did God was God not able to? Well, we know for a fact that God was able it's not because God wasn't capable of allowing Jesus to come sooner than then. Why is it that God waited for so long? Well, there's a lot of things that are revealed in God's waiting for some, so long. The first thing that God reveals to us is that, that with time, God reveals to mankind more and more and more with each passing day the dire need of 
a Savior for mankind. We need a Savior. We need a Savior to come. And we need, uh, and, and at that time, they were saying, we need a Messiah. We need that Messiah to come. And more than just because Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, day after day, mankind grew further and further away from God. And with each day of, of going further away from God, mankind knew more than the day before that we needed a Savior. We needed a Messiah to come that would save us from ourselves, save us from our sin. And so first of all, the reason that God waited was because uh, He wanted to demonstrate His, uh, His, the need of mankind to have a Savior. Secondly, God waited because of grace. God waited to, to bring about the Messiah as long as He did so that He would be able to demonstrate the grace of God because by waiting, God demonstrates not only the fact that we need a Savior, but that He's bringing a Savior. And so by waiting, He demonstrates His grace. And today we understand that even more so than they did at that time because with each day passing, more people get to understand the grace of God. With each day, more and more people get to understand, A, I need a Savior, and B, God is going to deliver that Savior to me. And so it's the grace of God, God demonstrating His grace towards mankind. Because God could have just simply said, you know, I told you not to eat of that tree, Adam and Eve. So he could, have, he could have made Adam and Eve die right then. He told them they would. He could have said, okay, I'm going to just start all over. I'm going to forget you. I'm going to just, you couldn't do it, so I'm going to give somebody else opportunity. And just wipe them out and could have started off fresh and new with uh, two new people. He could have done that, but God's grace said, no, I'm going to allow you to understand you need a Savior. Understand the separation that sin has brought between us. Understand your need for salvation. Understand you can't possibly give it to yourself and you can't be your own Savior and understand you need a Savior that will come and deliver you from your sin. And so God did that by waiting. And it seems like uh, with each day, that we forget more and more why God is, is giving us more time. And today we, we have people that are, are still, I mean, they have Christmas all over the place. And we just simply, uh, we, we put other things in the place of God in order to, to fill that hole, that, that hole in our life that we, uh, that's been vacated by God when we have sin in our life. We, we put presents in there. We say, oh, I'll feel better at Christmas uh, not celebrating about Jesus because I, I, instead of being about all about Jesus, we'll just make it all about ourselves. And so we do that for a while and, and that gets to, to be uh, something that takes care of things and then all of a sudden we realize there's still something missing. There's still more missing. And so we say, well, uh, we can't, we can't uh, simply just keep going on and on with just presents. We've got to make it about something more. So we create another myth uh, that, that fills in. We, we create another myth of, of, about uh, mystical beings and about all kinds of stuff like that to take the place of God and those work for a while and then all of a sudden we, we find that there's still a void there's still a hole and then we make movies and we make stories and we make all kinds of wonderful things to try and warm our hearts and make us feel good about things and we still find that people 
this time of the year are more in depression than they ought to be. There are more and more people that, that uh, commit suicide and that are depressed during this time of the year than any other time of the year. Why? Because they know they have a hole. They have a vacuum. They have a void where God should fill. And all the good intentions and all the eggnog and, and cookies and, and baked goods and all that other stuff can make you feel good, but it won't fill the void that's left by God. And so God gives us time to understand that we have a need that it can only be filled by Jesus. And so each day is a day of grace, a day of, of allowing us to understand that we can have that void filled by the love of God in our life, in Jesus Christ. And so <clears throat> we see that, that God is doing all these things for a reason. And then uh, thirdly, uh, uh, Zacharias and and. Uh, and Elizabeth, they're sitting there and they say, they, they, they're, they've been waiting just like all the rest of Israel has been waiting for the Messiah to come. And they think, maybe our son's going to be the one. Every parent thought that if they had a boy child, that their child would be the one. Zacharias is in there and he's receiving this message from the angel and he's thinking, I've won the jackpot. I'm going to be the, uh, the parent of the Messiah that's going to come. And, and the angel says, you're going to call him John. And of course, nobody knew what the name of the Messiah was going to be. They didn't, uh, they didn't think anything of it. John is the name and Zacharias said, oh, hold up. Wait a minute. Nobody in our family is named John. What am I going to say when I tell everybody that this child's name is John and not Zacharias Jr. or something like that? And the angel says to him, "You're going to—he's uh, going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and many of the children of Israel are going to rejoice." And he's saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but you told me to name him John instead. And look at verse 17. He says, "And he shall go forth." before him in the spirit of the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient of to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepare for the Lord. And then it begins to sink in that this is all in preparation for the Messiah to come. John's going to be the one to go and herald the way. Zacharias is going to give not... Uh, birth to a son that will be the Messiah, but rather a herald that would go before. Now in royalty, we, we're not too familiar with royal figures because we don't have a history of royalty in the United States. But every time that in you go back and you look at a, a lot of history and everything, and every time a royal individual is... Uh, uh, comes upon the scene, there's always an individual that goes beforehand, a herald that would cry out and say to everyone before that, uh, that person of nobility, hey, this is the king, this is the prince, this is somebody of nobility. You need to be aware of who this is and you need to show reverence. And, and the angel is telling uh, Zacharias that that's who his son was, is going to be. He's going to be the one to prepare the way for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Where shall I know this? He says, How am I going to be aware of... How, how do I know that, that you're telling me the truth? Well... If I was the angel, I would have said, hey, 
Look at me. I'm the angel. I'm telling you this. But Zacharias is saying, you know, I understand that, but I can't get past the fact that I'm old. I can't get past the fact that Elizabeth is past childbearing age. I can't get past that. And that's really what people today are are saying uh, when you tell them about Jesus Christ too. They say, I can't get past this whole virgin birth thing. I can't get past all of this. And basically, the angel says, hey, with God, nothing's impossible. Look, the angel had to say this to Mary, too, when, when they went to Mary. Mary said, how can this be? I've never been with a man. Nothing's impossible with God. And so, Zechariah says, how can I be sure about this? We're really old. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. And I am sent to, be, to speak unto thee and to show thee these things, these glad tidings. So he kind of did do what I said. He's, this is a, a fancy way of saying, look at me, I'm an angel. I'm standing here in the presence of God and God's told me to give you this direct message of, of all of these things that are going to happen. And... Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. This is perfect. Zacharias is going to be stricken speechless. He's been stricken dumb, which is what he was before when he said this. How am I going to know this? Well, you're dumb, so I'm going to make you dumb. Uh, You're dumb because... You, you you didn't need anything more than the fact that this angel is standing before you. But he says, I'm going to make strike you speechless until this happens to just prove it to you. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. The people are thinking that Zacharias is in there just simply devoting himself to prayer and spending time with God as he's filling the incense. And so they're marveling at his ability to stand in there and pray. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of the ministration were accomplished, he departed unto his house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived in her hid herself for five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked upon me to take away my approach among men. And in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation should this be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and shalt call his name Jesus." And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there shall be no end. So what we see is, is that in the fullness of time, God brings about 
His desire. And that is, is that, and I've found this to be true in other things that I pray about as well. God has a tendency of waiting until it seems as though it's clearly impossible for any of this to happen. And then all of a sudden, boom, He answers prayer. He brings about a miracle and it's to demonstrate the fact that He is God. This is not something that happened out of coincidence. It's not a chance uh, encounter. It's not something that, that happened by mistake. It's not something that could have been brought about by a winky-dink, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and and do this and just call it a miracle no it had to be of god and that's why uh, jesus had to be born of a virgin it had to be of god it had to be that god would bring about his the fulfillment of his promise in his time and in his way in a way that it was impossible as uh, zacharias and elizabeth had to give birth to a son john uh, to be uh, this is john the baptizer now so that it would be impossible for people to say, well, it's just a coincidence. They got some good genes. They were able to go ahead and have a baby. No, she'd been barren. It's not that that they had a bunch of other children and all of a sudden they had a child in old old age. No, this was an impossibility. She'd been barren. They had not had a child all this time throughout their marriage. And then all of a sudden God comes and says, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. He's going to prepare the way and herald the way for my, for my uh, Messiah to come. Then God sends His angel to come and speak to Mary, a woman at the opposite end of her life spectrum. Not old, but young. So young she's never been with a man, never laid with a man. It's another impossibility that there's no way she could have been pregnated uh, because she'd never been with a man. And so you might... Now there's a lot of people that are naysayers that want to say, well, uh, Mary was probably... Mary and Joseph, they were already espoused to be married and they just kind of... They didn't do what they were supposed to and they had already had sex. No, uh, you don't understand... Those times are not like today. Those things didn't happen. There's those things when you are. It says espoused here. We don't have a uh, an understanding of what this is in our modern vernacular. The closest that we have is engaged, but it's more like she was promised to Joseph. She was. Uh, this is not an arranged marriage but very close to the the understanding that this will be your wife. And usually uh, a time of a spousal was several years. It wasn't just a couple of months. Uh, It was more than just an engagement. This was a promise to marry. And the promise was that every uh, bride that went into uh, a marriage was of a virgin. Uh, they, you just didn't have situations where uh, women broke that promise of of being pure before they were married. Uh, others want to say, well, uh, Mary was probably raped by a Roman soldier and this is their way of kind of getting over the fact that she was uh, raped and, and that explains uh, the birth of Jesus. No, uh, that, that kind of thing would have been news. That would have been something that would have gotten out. It was not something that uh, is not possible uh, for that to have happened without people knowing and being aware of it. Uh, these these kind of things aren't things that you just hid uh, like uh, and just pass off like 
sentiment of today. Uh, these, Mary was a child, a young, a young woman. Uh, many, many scholars want to say she was about 13 or 12 at this point. Uh, others want to say no, she was closer to maybe uh, 15 or 14, maybe as old as 16. But the, the, the wording here for Mary is, is that she was not only a virgin, but that word also connoted a very young age. And so um, Mary has not, never been with a, a man, and she's being told the impossibility. Not only are you going to have uh, the, the Son of God, you're going to, you've been chosen by God to deliver this child, but also you are, it, is, it goes with it to uh, the understanding you'll not be with a man until after this child is born to, to prove that this child is not a, a normal child, but this is the child of God. And so we see here that God brings about the impossibility. When the when is described as not just simply a specific date, but in the perfection of God and God's perfect timing. Not only God's perfect timing, but but God's ability to to manipulate and to move uh, the impossibility to bring about his possibility of bringing the birth of his child and not just simply a miracle but it is the perfection of God's timing you realize that this is the first with the Roman occupation of this area this is the perfect time for the the message of God to be delivered uh, across the known world at this time. This is the perfect time in that there was a great peace that had broken out because of the Roman occupation. This was a time um, greater than any other time for God to bring about His promise. And so God brings the in the perfection of His time, His Son... You know, the perfection of time is beyond. God has already brought Jesus Christ to come and to be born. To be born, to be a sacrifice for us, to live as a holy sacrifice so that we might have salvation. And today, speaking of perfect times, today's the perfect time for you to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that already, to give your heart to Christ because... We already understand why. We need a Savior because of sin has separated us from the love of God. We understand when. Now, now's the time. Because of the perfection of God's plan is perfect in your life today to give your heart and life to Him. If you haven't done that today, won't you come and give your heart to Jesus Christ? Give your life to Him so that He might come in and make this time the best time of your life in which God has provided His sacrifice, His, His gift to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your great love. We thank You for the gift of Jesus Christ. We praise You for the completion of Your plan, the completion of, of Your desire in our life to bring unity once again into the lives of those who call, call them, are called to You that we might have that relationship that You desire for us to have of bringing us back into uh, the fold with, with You in our life. And Lord, we just pray that You would help us today. If there's anyone here that needs to know You as Savior and Lord, that they give their heart and life to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.